Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 10th, and you know what that means. Tuesdays on the Mini Break, we're talking college contenders. Joining me to continue our series looking at the teams that ended last season in the top 10, previewing how they're going to look in this 2020 dual match season. You know him as our favorite writer from CrackRackets.com, the co-host of the Wednesday Mini Break podcast with Jamie McDonald. I, of course, course affectionately know him as Matt the Cracks to Koyak. Matty, welcome back to the mini break. Oh, Gruskin, what's going on, man? You know what? Uh, I'm always up for, for some good college tennis talk, especially with uh, some of your favorite teams, so this should be a good one. Yeah, nothing makes me happier than on Monday, because you listeners know we record these Monday night for, or the night before the day they're released, and so nothing makes me happier than Monday morning thinking, all right, what time do I want to text Matt and Chris today? And with that other name in mind, let me introduce him in the forefather of the collegetennisranks.com formula, predictions that are never far from the listed UTR, and of course, the li- one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. Chris Hallioris, welcome back to the mini break. Hey, glad to be here as always, Alex. Oh, I mean, we had, I I know listeners by now have probably listened, but if you're listening, Matt, I don't know if you got the chance, Chris, I don't know if we're ever going to top that Boland interview. That that was outstanding. I mean, I got to say, you know, the the Big 12s really stepped the game up from a conference perspective after having the Roditi and the Boland interviews. I mean, geez, it's going to be hard for somebody to come in with two better than that. And poor Bruce Burke, he's going to be like, oh. Well, Texas is good, too, and it's like, yeah, but, you know, and, I mean, he's got a strong case to make there, the defending national champs, but, yeah, I mean, from getting lectured on why us saying Jensen Brooksby shouldn't go to college is totally wrong and why we're complete fools to talk about my tennis game, my love life, all the fun things, that Boland pod certainly had it all, and in the spirit of Brian Boland, it seems only fitting. We talked about his Baylor Bears last week. This week, Maddie, I know we are going to focus on his former team, the team that, uh, you know, he built uh, to the mo- probably the most successful program of the 2010s, certainly one of the three most successful programs of the 21st century. The team we are going to be talking about today, the University of Virginia Men's Tennis Cavaliers. Before we start with our first questions, Westoff, give me a college contender sound effect, please. So, Matt, let's start where we always start. Looking at how uh, the Cavaliers ended last season, what was the takeaway of year two of coach, for Coach Pedroso? Yeah, definitely. Coach Andres Pedroso taking over. Um, you know, you mentioned Brian Boland. And last year, I thought they had a, a phenomenal year, man. I mean, they go 24-5 and five overall, 10-2 um, in the conference in ACC play. They were undefeated at home. Uh, great year, and it really started at the beginning. They had to go on the road for the kickoff weekend, went to College Station. Uh, they got two good wins there, were able to beat Cal and Texas A&M on the road uh, to get to indoors, and then they picked up a couple of big wins there as well. Uh, they beat uh, USC and Stanford 
And that really started the year, man. Uh, they were really good in ACC play. They got all the way to the finals um, of the ACC tournament. Did lose a tough match to Wake Forest. Um, I was in attendance for that one. It was great to watch. Had a good time there. Um, and then, you know, made the run to the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament. So, you know, this was a top five team, in my opinion, all year last year. They were an elite squad. Um, and yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was an awesome year for them. A little disappointing that they lost their third match to Wake Forest. It's funny they actually played Wake four times in total last year, which is I mean kind of interesting to note. That doesn't happen that often. Um, so for them to lose their third out of four in the quarterfinals, tough way to go out. But overall, I think they have to be pleased. Yeah, and for Coach Pedroso, you mentioned it being year two. I mean, look, he was the assistant for Brian Boland in almost the best of times from 2010 to 2014. I think they made NCAA finals every year in that stretch that he was the assistant. Um, and year one for him going all the way back to the 2016, 20, no, 2017-2018 season. Wow, it's crazy that that's how far back we are now. Uh, obviously, that year did not go according to plan. His Hoos went six, uh, went 14 and 13 now. They did not have Henrik Wiersholm that year after losing five players from their three-time defending national championship lineup. But yeah, last season, Coach Pedroso showed when he has a year to do some recruiting, when he has a year uh, to really get the guys to buy in. He There's a reason he is a highly esteemed assistant coach and why people you know why he's the guy to steer a program of Virginia's caliber because you start at the beginning of last year and it wasn't only that they returned Henrik Wiersholm that they returned Carl Soderlund that they returned uh, Ashwin Leeson three of the only guys in the country with national championship winning experience but he also went out last year and got Brandon Nakashima to join to the roster he got his freshman year Gianni Ross to stay committed through coaching changes or I believe he actually brought him in in January as a late addition as well. So Coach Pedroso proving his recruiting chops as well as his coaching chops last year, Chris, because, you know, it was a really good ACC conference. They had Wake Forest who obviously, you know, made the finals of the uh, indoors, made the finals of the outdoor uh, championships as well as, you know, we're coming off of an NCAA title, but then UNC as well, a semifinalist, a top 10 team all year long. Coach Pedroso showed that, you know, this Virginia team after a one-year blip will not be going away from the top 10 uh, prominence they have earned for themselves over these past 15 years yeah and it was i mean when you think about it we all didn't really you looked at the acc and you thought you had wake you had north carolina and virginia was kind of flying under the radar a little bit yet they beat north carolina two times they finished top five and and somehow it seemed like you know they with all of that that they were kind of under the radar if you will a little bit uh even with even with some of those big wins but but a, a great year last year, uh, and I'm sure they're, you know, looking to build on that uh, as some more. Uh, we'll, we'll see how what the year holds for them. Well, there was a win, Chris. We were at the indoors. I don't know how. I feel like I mention that every time. But, hey, listeners, I don't know if you know this, but Chris and I got to go to the indoors last year. And it was a third-day match. It was a backdrop match after both of these teams had lost in the quarterfinals. And it was Virginia versus USC. And for people like me who grew up really watching tennis, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, a Virginia-USC match at the indoors meant semifinals. It meant finals. It meant the highest stages of college tennis. And to see them play a backdraw match is my first in-person experience. It was weird because they were on the back courts. And it's like, I was thinking, where's the fanfare? Where's the band? Usually when these two play, I expect a, van- uh, a band. And like that speaks to the nature of after the down year. Yes, UVA was under the radar last season. Uh, 
I also thought their match against South Carolina in the uh, NCAA, I want to say it was, what, round of 32 before the round of 16, uh, when that was one of the weirdest but best 4-1 decisions I've ever seen, you know, Soderlin and Jubb battling, uh, just a lot of battles throughout that match, and uh, you know, Matt, to go back to you, uh, maybe the biggest factor of it all, the reason UVA was under the radar and got better and better as the season progressed is we knew about Soderland, we knew about Weirsholm, we knew about Leeson, we thought we knew, but then we really found out just how good Brandon Nakashima was last year at two singles, you know, culminating with him ultimately, uh, you know, lingering, and I, I don't know if he ended up winning that match, but certainly coming awfully close to beating Petrus Frisokos in that NCAA quarterfinal. Yeah, no question, man. I mean, this guy came in immediately. He was 17 at the time. He just recently turned 18 years old. So a 17-year-old coming into college tennis and just making a huge impact right off the bat, he really elevated this team. You know, you mentioned the 14-13 and 13 record in Coach Pedroso's first year. I mean, Nakashima comes in and all of a sudden they're a top-five team. You know, it's not just him. They did get Henrik Wiersholm back from injury. That was a big a big uh, gain for them. Wiersholm obviously outstanding in singles and doubles. But yeah, Brandon Nakashima, man, this guy was one of the best players in college tennis. Mainly played number two, but he played some at number one. Um, yeah, just I, I had a blast watching him throughout last season. He was great. Yeah, and he went uh, seventeen and five during the dual match season. Uh, Twelve, two and three at the one position, three and zero oh at the three position. But where he played most of the year, twelve and two at two singles. You talked about Weirsholm. He went fifteen and five in singles. Only played the dual match season, eleven and four at three. Uh, and then the combination of him and Nakashima really turned it up in the doubles. Go nineteen and three during the dual match season. That was a combination that they found worked for them later on, and you know they really started pressing that. Um, and then of course the other season uh, senior they lost Ashwin Leeson who went 18 and 15 last year overall 14 named the dual match season 10 and 3 at the six singles position where he primarily played uh, and Matt as you're looking towards the building of you know as you're looking towards this year's roster assembly look you're again to lose uh, what it was Weir's home I mentioned 11 wins from the three singles position to lose 10 wins from the six singles position those 19 doubles wins Leeson was here you know here and there throughout Take out the Nakashima portion because we'll get to that after. But this is a roster that lost two stalwarts of their lineup. And it, for, you know, well, I, I guess you can't exclude the Nakashima because ha, if Brandon Nakashima stays with him, with Soderlund, it's almost an Ito Siskard Texas situation where you're like, well, this team still has enough talent in its top two that it could be able to compete with anyone. But with Brandon, it sounds like Colette Lewis reported today, and we'll have the chance to talk to Coach Pedroso later tonight, so we'll know for certain. But with the loss of Weirsholm, with the loss of Leeson, with the loss of Nakashima, Matt, this roster loses a ton heading into the 2020 season. Yeah, no question. It, it hurts bad. And I mean, specifically the two se- seniors, Weirsholm and Leeson, they were team uh, captains. End Look, of an era. My national of, championship end of an era. Yes, exactly. End of an era. You know, these were two team captains last year. They both contributed big time in singles and doubles. Um, yeah, it, it hurts, man. I mean, it really does on and off the court because, you know, they were leaders in the locker room. Um, and then, you know, they won a whole bunch of matches. 
And Leeson was a guy that the year before played higher in the lineup. I mean, he played up and down. He played number two, number three um, during that first year for Coach Pedroso. And then obviously last year with, um, you know, Brandon Nakashima coming in, getting Weirshawn back, he slid down to number six and was awesome down there. So, yeah, I mean, and that's that's not even talking about Brandon Nakashima yet. Obviously, his loss hurts most of all. Yeah, and look, for Brandon, and I guess this is how will go to you, you look at what he's done, Chris, and it's funny because I think him and Brooksby, pretty similar in ranking. Uh, Brandon right now going to end the year at number 372, one off of his career high, which he achieved earlier this year, of 371. But the way he ended his season, I mean, it was just so impressive. Uh, not only in the college season, but then the way he played this summer. You look at his results, third round, two wins under his belt, a win over his teammate, uh, former UVA, I shouldn't say teammate, but Ty, Ty Kwiatkowski at the carry challenger. He makes the quarterfinals in Tiburon, losing in three to tie there, but beating guys like Chris Eubanks, a former All-American, Martin Redlicky, a former All-American, Michael Moe, a top, you know, former top 100 player, makes the semifinals in Fairfield before losing in three to Steve Johnson, makes the semifinals in Charlottesville before losing to Pospisil. I, I know it's going to hurt this Virginia team, Chris, but Brandon, the the way he played down this home stretch, and again, Colette reporting that he's going to be gone, so that's what we're going to go with for now. It makes sense that he's making the jump here, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's he's got to consider what's best for him, and obviously in, the, in, in his situation, he feels, I mean, you, you can't fault him either way. The only thing you can say is if they do come back, as, as we talked about last week with Brooksby, they have to get the opportunities to play. You know, if he's got great opportunities to go out and play on the pro circuit, he's clearly shown that he's ready uh, with with all those deep runs and the challengers he was making. Uh, by all means, go take your shot. Yeah, without a doubt. But you look at the effect. Let's assume he's gone, Chris, and your look at this roster. Um, even with, I believe they got a blue chip new addition. But, I mean, it's, it's hurting for depth, especially at those three through six spots. Oh, they don't. Yeah, that. I'm not sure that they're going to play. I mean, it, it's going to be tough to see <clears throat> any of the freshmen they've got playing. I mean, they've got three signees for next fall. They've got a couple freshmen on the roster right now. Uh, but I think everybody that they've got is, uh, you know, even even with you've you've got Nakashima Soderlin and then Gianni Ross and Ryan Getz, and then it's a free for all after that. So now you take take Nakashima out and you slide uh, you. you you slide, obviously, Soderlin one, Gianni two, gets probably three, and now you're, <clears throat> and then a free for all for the last three spots. Uh, and it, it, it kind of, it, it's certainly not, you know, they'll, they will mo- more than hold their own in the ACC, but it's not going to, it's going to be a very tough lineup to try to battle a team like North Carolina with, for sure. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Gianni Ross because that was probably Coach Pedrosa's first recruit, a blue-chip guy, highly esteemed junior. He comes in, and it's fair to say I think his first two years at UVA have been uneven, certainly now. You know, with uh, the, that first year, probably had to play a little bit higher in the lineup than he was expecting with the Weirsholm injury, with Altamirano leaving as well. Uh, but then last year, you know, he suits up mostly at the four singles position. Uh, and, you know, to mix success, he ends up going, I'm um, sorry, I've scrambled all of these tabs here, but he ends up going uh, 21-11 in singles on the year, 14-7 in the dual match season, 10-5 and at four, which is where he primarily played. Uh, but I mean, then, you know, he was 7-0 and uh, in doubles with Will Woodall, 4-0 at the three dubs position, but they ended up pulling him, it felt like, from the doubles lineup at the end. Him and Lizon went 5-6 and six at three, so you can see, you know, mixed success there. And there's going to be a lot of, he's one of the pivotal players, if they're going to succeed to the level they want, you know, repeat performance in that round of 16, host a match there, uh, make that NCAA quarterfinal again. A lot is going to come on his shoulders. And Chris, you look at what they've done so far again uh, this summer and fall. And yes, Gianni Ross, 9-2 and two overall uh, in singles, 3-3 three and three in doubles, which isn't great. But, you know, what are your thoughts on what you saw from him this summer and maybe some of the other teammates to help make up the gap in talent they lost? Yeah, I mean, he, he, they obviously are counting on him, and he's had between the summer and the fall. He's he's played well. I mean, he he won a couple matches out at, at All Americans. He made a good run uh, in in the regionals. Granted, you know, maybe not the the regionals is wasn't the best of uh, best of quality, but a, but All Americans certainly will. He's got a good win over Kungu, another one over Billy Rowe uh, before he lost to uh, to Makey from from Arizona State, but. Um, I mean, I, I think they, I mean, he basically has to produce for them at three, given, given where they're at, they're, they're going to have to get that production, uh, at two, from one, two and three, and then, you know, and then hope that some people step up behind them. I just don't, I don't know who's going to be filling those, you know, those four through six spots for them, uh, and what that lineup's going to hold. But I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too concerned over over Gianni. He's 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 played some decent tennis here in the fall. I think he faded a little, which, like you said, when he had gotten kind of pulled at the end of last year. Uh, but but um, he's he's back playing well, and I think he'll be ready to go. You know, you're gonna get you know you're gonna get a game from Soderlin, uh, and Ryan gets good as well. So now it's just a matter of of who steps up to at four through six. You mentioned Getz. He goes 11-4 and four this fall. Another big winner for them, Amar al uh, who is playing, I believe, right now in the event in Saudi Arabia with pros. There's no better way to get ready for college matches than the sort of event he's taking place in there. Um, but yeah, other than that, really a mixed bag for this team. You know, 4-3 uh, and three from Will Woodall, 2-2 uh, two and two from Matt Lord, 7-7 seven and seven from Jefferson Doctor, 5-2 and two from Christian Alshon, their new freshman. Matt, as you were looking at the rest of this, this lineup, you know, were there any summer fall results that popped out to you as you're starting to project moving forward? And, you know, what does that UVA lineup look like to you when it's all said and done? Yeah, nothing, nothing really jumped out at me. And, you know, just for a second to go back to Gianni, if he does have to play two, which it looks like that's probably going to be the case. I just, I don't love it. Um, I, I really like Gianni Ross. I think he can be an awesome college tennis player, but I think he's more suited for that like number four position kind of role. I mean, playing two in the ACC is going to be really, really tough. 
Um, you know, and if you want to be an elite team, I mean, we're talking a top 10 team. I, I just, I think it's going to be tough on him, you know, and obviously Ryan Getz only being his sophomore year to play number three. I mean, uh, I just, it's going to be tough, man. I, I don't love it for UVA. I really don't. And then four through six, I mean, I expect Christian Alshon who had some good junior results. I mean, this guy can play. He's a blue chip recruit. I expect him to be in the lineup for sure. No question about it. After that, I mean, Matthew Lord, who's really more of a doubles kind of guy, um, you know, but he's played some singles throughout his career. So he could probably fill in down low five, six, if he had to. Will Woodall, maybe at six, but overall it's going to be tough. And and really the only guy that I look at, if, if we're putting him into positions... Soderlind at one is is excellent. I mean, I feel great about him. He can compete with anybody. Lock him in at number one. He's got a shot every match. Um, but other than that, it's gonna be it's gonna be a grind pretty much every time out. Yeah, that's the hard part, Chris. Right? Is we always talk about what's the match calculus going in and for this Virginia team, and we haven't even tackled the doubles component. But you just look from a single standpoint, and yes, yeah, Soderlund at one. He was the number one player in the country at points last year. I think he might have been the preseason number one. Yeah, you know what you're getting from the fourth year Soderlund at this point. This is a you know one of the few players left in college tennis uh, who has a national championship to his name. It's like him, Barbotzer, Ito, Siskard, and that's really it. Uh, so I agree with you at number one he's the guy playing one and you know in we'll talk about their conference in a little bit but when you're playing the top teams in the ACC Botzer Blumberg or uh Bro I, I forget who who had the great season for Notre Dame but all of these guys you know you're always going to get a tough shot at one but yeah for Gianni Ross who has to make the jump from number four to number two just this added burden for all of these guys Chris UTR wise uh I mean it, not in comparison to the ACC but just in comparison to some of the other top-tier teams we've talked about, like a Baylor or a TCU, how does this team in singles stack up one through six? And who are those guys you look to? Um, well, they stack up at one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then we're done. Uh, and that's assuming Nakashima's gone, right? I mean, with, with no Nakashima, Soderlund's there. And and then, yeah, if you're going to look on paper at, at, at the from a UTR standpoint, you've only got two other guys on the team over 13 and that's in Gianni and Getz. And then, uh, you know, and then four five, six, you're getting down into the, you know, you're, you got a couple guys in the, in the mid to upper 12s and then it's even, and then it's lower 12s. So it's, uh, it's certainly not on paper, the, the best lineup, but you know, th those things can always, always be deceiving. It's a matter of who you play. And, and a lot of these guys, uh, especially the newer guys have not had the opportunity to play a lot of, of game competition. At least a couple, a couple of them got to go out and play all Americans and get some good matches in, but the rest of them, you know, that, that region they're in is frankly is a, you know, is a, a pretty weak region. You look at, uh, I think gets wins the, the regional and, and I'm not sure that he ever played any, anybody, you know, over maybe one one guy, two guys, maybe over like 12-7 UTR-wise. It's just, you know, it's not a strong region for them. So a lot of them didn't get great quality matches, and you have to play – got to play good guys if, if you're looking on paper at a UTR to get those results. So, you know, that can be deceiving, but it's still uh, – you know, it's not the same as stacking up. As, you know, you look at a, a North Carolina, and you're looking at Josh Peck at five, uh, and here we're talking about, I don't, you know, I don't even know. I can't even tell you who, who four is, right? Um, Woodall, Alec Bonnie, you know, 
Alshon. It's it's not a it's not a great a great comparison at the moment. Yeah, and the thing you don't like to see for Virginia, I'm looking at the wins they got last year. At the top four positions, they were really good. You know, Soderland and Nakashima combined to go 16-8. and eight. A combination of Nakashima, Soderland, Gianni, and Henrik go 19-3. and three. Henrik, uh, Gianni, Nakashima, and Getz go 17-6 and six, uh, at three. They go 17-7 and seven at four. But at the back half of the lineup, the guys who are going to be replacing the people who have left. Look, Getz, as much as we want to talk about him UTR-wise, he went three and seven at five singles last year, and I know he uh, has a, he had some injury issues throughout the season. We didn't get to really see him fully healthy. Uh, but to ask a guy who went three and seven at five singles to now play three singles—that's a jump. That's tough for any team. And now, if teams want to maintain top five status, that's the sort of jumps and development you need to expect from your players, particularly as they go from their first season to their second season, which is often when you see a big jump. But yeah, it's a lot to ask of this team and you start looking at their schedule, they're going to have the benefits of hosting uh, one of the kickoff regions early in the season. And I believe you look at the teams who are coming, I think they have Memphis and then either NC State or Utah State. But you look for them conference-wise, Chris uh, and Matt, and I guess Matt will start with you since you are the ACC. I mean, you know, that NC State team that they could end up playing, that's a really tough team. And just, I know Wake, they're, they're going to be the beneficiaries of Wake Forest also losing a bunch of talent. But, you know, UNC is a pretty definitive number one. And then in the ACC, there's a lot of chaos. So I'm curious where you think this team stacks up in the race. I mean, at best, and, and I mean, at the very best, I think number three, and, and that's a stretch. I mean, really? I think it could, yeah, I think it could be worse than that. Um, no question. I mean, UNC, I've got penciled in at number one. And then there's so many teams, man. I mean, you look at the NC States, the Wake Forests, even teams like Duke, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech is going to be improved this Florida year. Florida State. Florida State. There's a lot of good teams in the ACC, man. It's a strong conference. I'm telling you. So... Uh, without Nakashima, I'm I'm worried. I, I think the best that they should be looking at would be to shoot for number three. A- and I don't know if they can get there. I, I don't know because there's going to be a lot of matches that are tight. You know, they play NC State at the kickoff weekend, most likely, if NC State can get through their first match. That'll be interesting. That'll be really interesting, you know, right off the bat to see how that goes. And then, of course, they'll play again later on down the line in March. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I'd say number three is, is the best that they're going to do. And that's no guarantee. I feel like you both are so secretly enjoying just slamming UVA right to my face. It's like I had all this time no. to make fun of you and enjoy my UVA fandom, and now you guys are just going after no, me. Not, also- trying to, not slamming them. It just, look, it, it is what it is, man. It's a tough conference, and they've lost a lot. They've lost a lot without re- really gaining all that much. Yeah, that's right. Look, JC and Ty and Richard and uh, uh, who am I missing from that recruiting class? But the point is, those it's not. Uh, he was a year younger, but yeah, the, you know, they're not getting all of those guys walking through the door at once. That was a once in a lifetime recruiting class that they, you know, bore fruit from for four years. But I mean, Chris, third in the ACC. Do you, I, I feel like we're all a little scarred after Boland gave us the business last week. And I know, you know, like when talking about Nakashima, I'd be like, well, like I really understand now why college has been a benefit for him and why he would want to come back. So I'm afraid I'm going to get yelled at again. Uh, but Chris, third in the ACC for this Virginia team, Sans Nakashima. Does that sound about right? 
Uh, yeah, I, I, for sure. I'm with Matt. Yeah, Sans Nakashima, th- third at best. I mean, Wake's, yes. be, Wake's better. North Carolina, clearly the favorite. And and they're going to have to – I mean, they will be in dogfights. I mean, Soto, you like Soderlund's chances, but some of those other teams that you're talking about, look, you know, you stack up uh, – you stack up a guy at one like NC State with with Alexi or Notre Dame with you know I don't probably see Amara that that can play with them, and then they're just as solid two through six as oh. as Virginia is, which means you know you're you're basically in, even if you give Virginia the match at one with Soderlin, you got doubles where they don't look you know impre- super impressive at the at the moment you don't think, and and then f- five other matches where you know, you're going in as a toss up, you know, you're counting on winning the, the lion's share of those just to finish third. So it's definitely not going to be easy. You got to figure they, you know, it is Virginia after all. And, you know, forget what Matt said. Yeah. I'm just having fun beating the crap out of you. I mean, it's great. I <laughs> have <laughs> absolutely nothing against Virginia. It's just picking on Gruskin makes it fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, I think it's going to be, I think that's what, that's got to be kind of what they're what they're looking at is hey yeah we would we know Carolina's out there it'd be it'd be great to battle Wake but there, we're gonna have a whole bunch of other battles and yeah you're you're trying for second but I think thirds uh, is probably the best case scenario and and try not to make sure that somebody doesn't sneak up I, you know one of those other teams that you mentioned could sneak up there and all of a sudden you know, be the sleeper that, that jumps into that third spot or even second for that matter. Well, I'll point out that A, you know, after Trevor leaves Mississippi State, you have now left the Mississippi State program, whereas I will never leave the UVA Cavaliers because that's my team. Um, but B, <laughs> yes, I the depth, I mean, UNC as number one, I think we'll, uh, you know, we talked about them already. We've made the case for that roster, that depth, that returning talent, Um why it would be why they have the case to be as successful as we think they can be but so much of this Virginia team is unknown and I mean they still have a bunch of blue chips a bunch of five stars a bunch of talented players on their roster and you're right we they haven't had you know nothing screams out from the doubles lineup but this is a Virginia team that has traditionally with a coach Pedroso and you know coach assistant coach Scott Brown as assistants they were really good at doubles for a long time and a lot of that comes down to the players you have playing the matches but some of that does come down to coaching and so I know coach Pedroso and coach Brown will have this team ready and it'll be interesting to see which pairings emerge because if you can get that doubles point well, now the calculus looks a lot better. It's like, okay, a lot of times we know we're going to get Carl. Um, but yeah, four through six is where matches are made. And until we know more about who's lining up where, what what this team looks like during the dual match season, it's really hard to project confidently for this team. And, you know, they I think this is what our number five team in the kickoffs that they ended last year, number five. They got to host a regional uh, where they beat Stanford. They got to go play Wake Forest, played a really fun quarterfinal match. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. It sounds like you think a top eight seed is very unreasonable. But for this team, I mean, what do you see? I guess give me both the floor and the upside in terms of how they could uh, how it, their 2020 season could go. Yeah, no, without without Brandon Nakashima, this is not a top 10 team and they will not be hosting a super regional. I think that's out of the question. Um, it, there's no doubt about it. They will not be a top eight seed. Um, you know, top 16, you know, top, top 20, top 15. 
Maybe. I mean, I, I still think that's going to be tough. I mean, I'm telling you, it, you look at their schedule, they're going to have matches against, um, you know, they go out to California, they're going to play USC, who we've already talked about as, as, you know, definitely one of the top teams in the country. You know, if somehow they do make it to indoors, that's, that's going to be difficult. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's a chance that we, at the end of the year, we look at them maybe top 20, top 25 team um, at best, top 16, top 15, but they're not, they're not sniffing that top 10. I'm telling you that right now. Come May, when it's time for the tournament, they will not be anywhere near that top 10 to host a Super Regional. It's not like you're one to pick upsets, but I cannot wait for you to take NC State over my Virginia Cavaliers come yeah, ATA kickoff yep. weekend. It's that prediction. Yeah, I'm ready for it already. Chris, you know, you look at their early season schedule. You look at the ACC conference where they stack up. Same question to you. Give me the floor and give me the upside for this team. I don't think so. I mean, if we're sticking, you know, Sans Nakashima, I'm definitely with Matt. There's the, the upside is I still don't see how – how there's any way they get close to a top eight on the upside. I, I think in that probably, you know, somewhere in the 12 ish range is probably, you know, and they could, they're looking, trying to, trying to get to, to 10 and it's going to be, I, I think that's going to be a little, a little too tough. Um, the, you know, the, the thing for them is there's a lot more downside than there is upside. I mean, they're, They'll battle in the ACC, and, and they can they can they could take third in the ACC. I mean, that's a good uh, that's a good solid upside for them, I think. But the the downside is, you know, there's some teams that really got that got better, and Notre Dame's going to be right there with them, and Florida State's going to be right there with them, NC State's going to be right there with them. I mean, there's they could lose every one of those matches, they could win every one of those matches. So you know, and we're going to have to see how those guys in the in the lineup that we're not sure who's playing where come out and fare as well as like you said how does ryan Getz do when he's going to have to undoubtedly jump a couple spots in the lineup uh when he had a losing record at five last year so tier wise chris if you were to and then matt same question to you uh but tier wise if you were to break it down we'll say in the acc tier one is unc i think they're the favorite the contender on their own uh just talent wise all of these things would you put UVA in the Tier 2 alongside Wake and maybe Notre Dame, or would you put them closer into that Tier 3 of still good teams, but the Florida States, the Dukes, the Georgia Techs of that conference? No, nah, yeah, they're, I, I don't put them in, in Tier 2. I, to me, it's it's Carolina's 1, Wake's 2, and then there's oh. a tier, then there's a tier that has Virginia, Duke, North Carolina State, Florida State, uh, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech. Uh. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. I, I couldn't agree more with Chris. I think I think he's spot on with that. Love that call. Yeah, it's... So here's the thing. Again, it feels disrespectful because you lose a Bornegojo, you lose a Petros Risokos, that is a serious loss for your roster. And so I know we have... Yeah, but that's true. But that's the thing is we know we have seen from them three through six from Botsaron down that they can produce down there now. Last year, that's where their heart attacks came, right? How many times did we see Kungu or uh, who else would play four or five for them? Whoever it would be in the rotating yeah, cast. But, but, uh, but that's the difference, Alex. What You know where Kungu stands in that lineup UTR-wise right now? Eighth. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. They bring yeah. they bring in two really talented freshmen. I mean, really talented freshmen. And yep. you don't you don't have that at Virginia right this year. So that I mean that that's the difference is they're bringing a couple guys in right off the street that are going to play and play up in the lineup. I mean, Body's probably playing you know two maybe three for for Wake uh, after Botzer and probably Botzer at Stockview and then he plays three maybe. But I mean, you know they they brought in uh, you know from a recruiting standpoint just talent that's going to play right away and and will produce and you, you you're not you know virginia's got a spanish kid that looks really good for next year but it's next year and and they could they could have used and who knows maybe we're going to talk to coach pedroso here and he's going to tell us oh yeah we got a january guy we haven't told you about yet but uh <laughs> but but i don't you know barring that it's uh, you know it's going to be tough yeah, I, I agree. I think that's completely fair. I'm glad you made that point. Again, we will talk to him on the Cracked Interviews for you guys to listen to tomorrow. But unless he brings uh, a recruit out of the bucket, yeah. I suppose you're right. The depth for those other teams is better now. Real quickly, um, and or Matt, I guess, Matt, actually, your thoughts on those tiers, would you agree with Chris? Oh, 100%. Th- those, that's exactly how I would go with that. I think that's spot on. Yeah, look, it's always great when the Trinity or at least two members of the Trinity are in agreement. We must be on to something, although I guess Coach Boland, I'm sure, would disagree. But let's do this real quick. Just a quick thought exercise. We'll start with you, Matt. Because we learned uh, we, we learned our lesson last week that Brooksby was going back. And again, it really sounds like Brandon Nakashima is ready to go pro, and I think we all agree that he is certainly ready to do so. But let's say Nakashima comes back, and maybe we'll delete this part of the podcast pretty quickly but what Matt do you project for this team then and give it to me in 30 seconds or less yeah no if he comes back I think we're looking at a possible top 10 team that could be pushing for uh, one of those top eight seeds to host a super regional man he makes a ton of difference singles and doubles he's gonna win a bunch of matches that then slides Gianni Ross down that slides Ryan Getz down and one of the guys that we were mentioning that would have to play number six, would then be out of the lineup. So I think that would be a huge bonus, um, and and that could change the entire season around. He could literally also push Soderlund down. That's how well he was yes. playing. But, yes. but Chris, same question to you. How imp- If Nakashima comes back, is this team a title contender? Is, you know, the teams we've seen at at Baylor, UNC, USC, we haven't talked about Florida yet, but our, we haven't talked about Ohio State, but would would this team still be beneath that tier? Oh, first, they're definitely beneath that tier, even with him. And there's no question, you know, if he were to come back, he's got to push Soderlin down. I don't know how you convince a kid to come back and then tell him he's playing two all year. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, I don't see that happening. So so even if they were to try to get him to come back, yeah, that puts him a solid third. And then now they can try to battle Wake. I still think they're behind Wake, but they're at least in that tier now with them. And have kind of they've they've separated themselves a little bit from from that the tier teams they were with in, in the ACC and they should be a you know a solid a solid three at at worst you would hope but I still think I'm right there with Matt I think they're they're probably even with him they're they're you know scraping to try to get to a top eight and it's gonna and it it'll be tough yeah um, look it's it's you know the past we'll say five years at a minimum. To say, yeah, you know, we're hoping to come in third in the ACC. That could still mean you're going to be a top five seed. That could still mean you're going to make the semifinals of NCAAs. It think it sounds like this year, 
uh, that will not be the case for the team whoever comes in third in the ACC. And I think that's, you know, we got spoiled by how good Wake, UNC, and Virginia have been over these past, you know, five years. So it, it'll be interesting to see this Virginia team fight itself across an ACC conference that, you know, maybe not as top heavy, but certainly has the depth uh, to bring out the best of any team in the conference. Now, I want to do a quick little reset for you listeners, and then I promise we'll wrap up. Uh, be, this should be one of our shorter college contender series, uh, considering our thoughts on this team. But you look at the teams we've talked about thus far, and as we approach the top four, and it really sounds like, given the roster turnover this year, that some of these teams outside of the top four have as good of, if not better, shots at than uh, at winning the title this year than the teams we're going to be talking about moving forward. And so, looking back, uh, let's start with you, Matt, and then go to Chris. Of the six teams we've talked about, you know, how many of those would you say are top tier national title contenders? And you know, which schools uh, of them would you name? And just for our listeners to recap, we've talked about TCU, Mississippi State, USC, UNC, Baylor, and now Virginia. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say two to three. The two for sure that I really like are UNC North Carolina and USC Southern Cal. I think there's no question that those two are title contenders. And then now with Jensen Brooksby, I've got to put Baylor in there. I think Baylor can be a top four, you know, semifinal, final four type team with Jensen Brooksby. I just, I think he's that good. I really do. They're pretty deep. I mean, they're bringing back that nucleus that we talked about last week who are very good. Um, So those three would be my favorites. UNC, USC, and then Baylor probably in that order. I like it, Chris. Same question to you. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say basically everybody except for Virginia and Mississippi State that we've talked about so far <laughs> is a is a potential title contender, I, I think, uh, which basically says what Matt said and add TCU. But but I think uh, I think for sure, uh, you know, USC, uh, North Carolina. Well, I'm sorry, USC, TCU, Baylor, uh, all all very good shots at, at getting there. Uh, yeah, and, and the reason I bring that up is because it's so interesting, again, that we see uh, whether it's roster turnover, whether it's returning talent, the continuity, or whether it's the fact that we don't have a wake force of two years ago or all those Virginia teams that dominated so for so long coming back that on paper just scream, you know, this is the national title. You, Chris, you made a joke at the end of last season, the race to play Florida, uh, or the race to play Wisconsin, I guess, or to Florida at the indoors was on for everyone. Or like, congratulations to Wisconsin. You're going to play Florida. And it's like, well, now we really do have, even through the, you know, teams five through 10, it feels like four, maybe even five title contenders of this group. And we have a lot of really good teams moving forward. So that we're saying Virginia isn't necessarily a top tier team, isn't necessarily a dig at them, but more so a testament to the talent. Uh, I think a lot of the other schools have accumulated, Matt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter. A lot of teams, you know, they're, they're not going to lose anybody. Um, they retain a lot of talent, a lot of experience. Um, you know, combine that with some influx of new recruits, new talent, like some of these teams that we mentioned. And, you know, Virginia just, they, they lost too much without really gaining it back. Um, they, they didn't bring enough in, um, you know, to combat for everybody that they lost. So that's why they kind of fall out of that category. They were great last year. Again, I, I thought they were a top five team. Absolutely, they were an elite team 
uh, last year. But when you look at it, it's not the same squad. So it is what it is. Yeah, same thing, Chris. Final thoughts on this Virginia team from you? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at every team every year and you kind of say, did they get better? Did they get worse? And you were asking the question about these other teams. And you look at teams like TCU. Granted, how do you lose Rybakov and get better? But on the whole, given the three studs they added and the depth they'll have, on on the whole, they're probably better. Baylor, definitely better. North Carolina, better. Virginia, worse. So, you know, how, how do you – you know how you try to say that you're gonna you're gonna hang in there with those guys it's you know they need another year for sure uh it's virginia they'll find a way they'll they'll hold their own and 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 try to make some noise when it comes time for the ncaa tournament like you said it'll be the the indoor region they've got is a very winnable region and you know be a great chance for them to if they can't if they can you know win at home there a great chance to go and uh and play, get some experience, three matches against good teams, and and you know that'll help those young guys get better quick. Yeah, and I think that's something we are all looking forward to is watching this Virginia team battle because we always are. I mean, at least me personally, you know where my thoughts are on the who's both of you, and you know t- college tennis is a better place when we have a strong Virginia program, a strong USC program, all of these strong programs pushing one another to continue to ascend to. Uh, you know, improve college and ten- tennis, take it to a higher and higher place. But one thing that takes us at Cracked Rackets to a higher and higher place has us better prepared and always prepared for the plethora of podcasts we like to prepare for you listeners. You like that plethora of podcasts, prepare a little triple P alliteration for you. And in the spirit of the holidays, we at Cracked Rackets are feeling festive. And so what we want to do is share what helps make us so prepared. And that is, of course, why we have started our Aerobar uh, holiday giveaway. Of course, our partners at Aerobar, which created a tennis-specific energy bar for the first time, more potassium than a banana, more delicious than any of Matt or Chris's spicy takes today, their honey cinnamon oat, their chocolate chip bars, which you listeners, we I promise you, you will enjoy. In fact, since I started eating them, I actually won a set of tennis. I won the first set I've played in. Uh, I don't know how long, two months, three months when I matched up with my former college roommate this past week and knocked him off 6-2. I played damn well. I treed. And I can tell you why I treed. It was because of Aerobar and the preparation it had for me. I wasn't a fool. I wasn't dealing with melted chocolate on this changeovers. I was well-fed and well-prepared. And to keep you listeners well-fed, well-prepared, they're offering you a promo code of CRACKED30. That is C-R-A-C-K-E-D and the number 330 uh, so that you can get involved in the action. 30% off of your first order of aero bars they also as a way of promoting our stuff at cracked rackets have set up this holiday giveaway where they gave us a signed john isner racket that's right the big man himself the slayer of serving john isner sent us a signed racket that you can sign up to be a part of the raffle up for the giveaway by leaving a review on this podcast the great shot podcast or the cracked interviews podcast as well as a five-star rating if you leave a contact handle for us in the uh, post we will put that name in the raffle your name will be submitted for each review you leave so if you leave one across all three podcasts that's three submissions at the end of the month we will choose the winner of the john isner signed giveaway and send it to you but before all of that i'm telling you what's the point of having a signed john isner racket if you're not prepared to step on the court and the best way to prepare to step onto the court is by enjoying yourself a delicious nutritious arrow bar but with that west off give me some sort of arrow bar giveaway sound effect please uh, but with that in mind matt chris Six teams in the books, and we are really rounding out this college season. Uh, thank you to both of you, as always. And, Matt, I believe your article will be posted on the website tomorrow. 
So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout as well for Chris and my conversation with Virginia coach Andres Pedrosa, which we will be doing, I believe, 10 minutes from now, but it will be released simultaneously with this podcast. So be on the lookout for that. Like, rate, subscribe, review, of course. And if you need the more immediate updates, uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at Cracked Rackets. The website is CrackedRackets.com. Shoutouts to the super producers, Max Flieger and Daniel Westoff, who have a... to do and continue to kill it week in week out but with that in mind for my lovely co-host Matt Stokowiak and Chris Halliores for our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin Matt Chris what do we tell our listeners that's That's great and we will see you all next week when we talk about number four Florida yes number four Florida I'm looking forward to it and listeners we will see you tomorrow tomorrow